1: It was when you came on your official visit They played like the old school movie With the four horsemen And uh, the old school Notre Dame And you got the
0: And there's a now that's a follow-up question, Eric Hansen. That's a heck of a follow-up question
1: right there. If you can be physical and if you can take the breath out of somebody by hitting them, man, it don't matter how many yards or, or what the offense is or what the schemes are, that, that'll that always be the same. Well, I still think there's a place for Notre Dame and the ideals of Notre Dame football in the wide, broad scope of the sport right now. Uh,
2: Eric, I'm hoping I don't run into
1: you in South Bend because you are probably cost me around a drink. From the South Bend Tribune and ND Insider, this is the Pot of Gold Podcast with Tyler James and Eric Hansen. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pot of Gold at ND Insider Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football for Indy Insider and the South Bend Tribune. The Fiesta Bowl is almost here. Notre Dame and Oklahoma State will meet Saturday in an intriguing matchup that will mark the start of the Marcus Freeman era for the Irish. Before the game, we wanted to catch up with someone familiar with taking over the Notre Dame football program, and that's former head coach Charlie Weiss. Charlie, thanks for joining us once again.
2: I guess I, guess I was a better choice than Brian
1: Kelly at this time.
2: <laughs> I don't know that Brian Keller
1: would
0: want to talk to us.
1: <laughs>
0: you have to promise you're not going to do any dancing. <laughs> no. 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 Don't worry. I, I, think
2: you're safe. I think you're safe.
1: Charlie, I'm curious. What, what is this? What do you think is the significance of winning this first game for Marcus Freeman as a head coach? Is there an extra weight to that? Or is it, is it not that, that important in the, in the grand scheme of things?
2: Well, winning always is a good thing. All right. So if you win the game, they already have a lot of momentum. You know, there's a lot of juice right now. It was was a very popular choice inside the building, from what I understand. I don't really worry about what the fans think on it, but, you know, inside the building, it was a very popular choice. So you're going to have really good, you know, I call it mojo going into the offseason, whether you win or lose the game. But if you win the game, it just gives you, that much of a better feel, you know, better feel. But if you lose the game, you use it. He then uses it as a teaching, a, a teaching lesson, and a motivational tune. To you know, that's the way he plays it. If you win the game, you say, you know, the best is yet to come. So either way, you're going to use it as a motivational tool and a teaching tool. So there's not really a downside to what it's going to mean for the program but I always feel that it's always better to leave with a good taste in your mouth than a bad taste in
0: your mouth. Charlie, you know, speaking of being the challenges of first year head coaches, as you kind of look back at your time, what maybe would, would you expect to be the things that are going to be the biggest challenge for Marcus in the next few months? He's got to put together a staff. He's recruiting. He's got other things to deal with. What what are maybe some some things that he's really going to have to put on the front burner? Well, let's let's
2: talk about the smooth part already. Okay. The fact that a lot a lot of the parts are in place already keeps him from having to worry about all those things. All right. You know, like there's a you know a lot of the coaches will be the same. The infrastructure has has been built, has been revamped and built up to work it's kind of a turnkey operation now. Now it's just, you know, putting his stamp, his personality on the program. Eric, you and I have talked about this in the past where everyone talks about changing the culture. I mean, the culture at Notre Dame is pretty well established. It's not just the football program, it's the school, right? Right. So the culture is the culture, which is a a very positive, positive one to play off of already. Here's the biggest issue he's going to have to deal with. It's one thing when you're the coordinator. It's a totally different set of encyclopedias when you're the head coach, because now you're the one dealing with every issue, every issue. You're going to get torn in a million different directions. Everyone wants a part of you. You know they they want their small piece. You have to, and you're going to have to, you know, divide yourself accordingly. But you're going to have to prioritize how to divide yourself. You know, when I came in, I was kind of given some guidance. Hey, you worry about this, we'll worry about that. You know, but that ended up not helping. That advice ended up not helping in the long run because. You know that sometimes can be misconstrued, like you're not caring about certain things, when you really weren't putting as much importance on those things. I think that the fact that he's been there for a year has a lay of the land. You know, has respect from the players. They already know him. They know his personality. I think that gives him a good jump start as as he gets going into this
0: first season as the head man. Just a follow up, Charlie. It, do you think? the pulling in all the directions, some of that is unique to Notre Dame. For example, was walking the door at Kansas different in terms of you being pulled in directions than it was at Notre Dame?
2: Well, it's a little different for – well, yes, different in a lot of ways. (laughs) Because no matter where you go, you walk in, you're the head coach at Notre Dame. I mean, it's it's not the same – You know, I'm not saying like I'm not saying you're Nick Saban, but I mean, you're the head coach at Notre Dame. It automatically gives you credibility and gives you attention when you walk in the door. It's not the same. You know, when you're at Kansas, the difference is by the time I was at Kansas, Eric, I was a very known figure. So uh, it's tough to mix those two together because I got that same reaction because of who I was not because where I was when I was in Kansas or when I was at Notre Dame. You get it because of where you are.
1: Yeah. Charlie, when you became head coach, were there, were there things that surprised you, that like responsibilities that fell on your plate that maybe you were like, really, this is something that is falling in my lap is this is my responsibility?
2: Well, no, there were a lot of things that you just didn't, didn't have to worry about when you're in the NFL as a coordinator. You know, you don't have to worry about when you get a phone call at two o'clock in the morning because somebody got in a bar fight. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's it's not your concern. You know, it it you're you're not worrying about it. But when you're the a boss, you know, it you know, at, at a college, you're going to hear about it, and it becomes your concern. You know, I think that the the toughest thing, you know, look, if there's nine zillion Notre Dame clubs across the world, right? Right. And every one of them wants you to be the guest speaker. Okay. And when you, and when you go there, they want you there for 18 hours, you know, to sign every autograph, take every picture and give them a law, rah, rah, rah win, win for the give or talk. You just don't have that much time in a day, you know, so you have to come up with a game plan. You know, we actually came up with a game plan, whereas the clubs at every level that won their level. We committed me to go to every one of those. So there's different levels, you know, the smaller groups to the bigger groups, and they all kind of compete against each other. And the way we handled it is, I think there was, I don't know if it was eight of them or 11 of them, but however many they were, I was committed. I committed to go to every one of those as kind of a reward for the fact that they had won their level of the Notre Dame clubs.
0: Charlie, one of Marcus's aspirations is to be the lead recruiter on the staff. And you were um, an extremely active recruiting head coach. You know, Brian, in, in fairness to him, I think he would admit this, he was more of a closer. I think Lou, too. I'm not sure if Tyrone was an opener or a closer, but um, you two were our lead recruiters. So as the head coach, what are the challenges to be able to toggle back and forth with everything you just said is on the head coach's plate and being that lead recruiter?
2: Well, my answer to that would be it depends on how involved he is with the defense. I don't, I don't know the answer to that question because if he doesn't have to be the defensive coordinator, it's much easier to do than if he is the defensive coordinator. You know, so if he's the head coach, and that whether he names himself the coordinator is not the point. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If he's really running, if he's running the defense, you know, running the defense and 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 the team, you know, you have less time. You don't have that same type of freedom. But in an ideal world, that, that what he describes is utopia. You know you hire a staff around you you have confidence that your staff can do it you give your little you give your suggestions to the offensive coordinator you give your suggestions to the defensive coordinator you give your suggestions to the special teams coach and then you go recruit the hell out of everybody you know like that's you know in that in an ideal world you know that would be that would be a great way to be i think in the beginning I think he, he does such a good job on defense that I don't think he should take himself out of the mix okay. right off the bat when he first, when he, when they first get started, you know, I think that you got the job because of how good a job you did on defense. I think that you should transition to that regardless of whether you let somebody else call the defense or not. It's not the point. I mm-hmm. think you should transition to transition to that. So there's no drop off in performance.
1: Same topic, Charlie, but a a more broad question. As someone who's coached at the college ball level, how how much of the overall success sort of comes down to that base level of recruiting?
2: That that's that's almost all the success comes down to it. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you know, I was it was funny. I to this day I keep on hearing about uh, my comment about schematic advantage. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay. Now the full com- the full comment that was said uh, said before before an event that I had gone to was once we get the players, uh, once we get the pl- players in, I believe that we'll be able to have a. Sch- I-, I believe we'll have a schematic advantage. He forgot that one little tidbit of the quote. Okay, you know because without the players. I mean, look, look at what Nick does down in Alabama. I mean, if you really think about it, it's 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 almost fascinating the number of four and five star players that commit to Alabama, knowing they're going to have to sit. Because, you know, in the world we live in today and recruiting, all these guys want to walk in the door the man and they want to be playing walking in the door. You know, so I think that the more good players you have in your program, you know, the better chance you're going to have a win in. But I think that at, at Notre Dame, in every place this is true, but especially there, you need to have players that kind of fit the personality of both you and the place, both you and Notre
0: Dame. Speaking of recruiting, the one of the positions they've had a little bit of Consistency issues with recruiting as wide receivers. Now, I think you walking in the door were able to flash the Super Bowl rings. You had a, you had Clawson in your pocket. And, um, you know, I I would think that that was a pretty good selling point. But you also, I think they changed the May recruiting rules because of you being so active as a head coach. Isn't that true? Yeah, there were three of us. It was, it was me, Urban, and one other person. Pete Carroll or no?
2: Yeah, it was that's right. That yeah. Pete was the third. Yeah. We were the three guys that were out there every single second that we were allowed to be out there. And then after that, they said, you know, everyone, all the other coaches complained because they said it was a it was a, a competitive disadvantage. Why? The rules were the same for everyone. They could have all yeah. done the same thing we were doing. Right. But you know, but they that that's when they took the the head coach is off the road in the spring. And that, that, that definitely hurt.
0: That definitely hurt. But, but you were able to get those offensive skilled players. Do you, I mean, you, you had something to show them tangibly that, Hey, this is what I did at new England. And this is what we're going to do at Notre Dame. Is that kind of what the selling pitch was?
2: Yeah. It, w- it was basically, you know, sh- it wasn't just the offense you ran, you know, Hey, Eric, I wear one ring now as my wedding ring, right? Yeah. But when <laughs> but when you take over there and you can walk into a recruit and they're telling you they're going to another place and you ask them why they're going to another place and say, well, because that place is going to give me a be- better chance to go to the NFL. And then you can sit there and take that ring out of your pocket and say, really? <laughs> the, 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 they have a better chance than this? yeah (laughs) you know and and it was a tool to get their attention that's all it was and it and it got their attention you know it it got their attention so now they start thinking well maybe I can go to Notre Dame and uh, can go to Notre Dame and be able to you know you know end up in the NFL playing on Sundays at this position.
1: Charlie what was it like to hire assistant coaches at Notre Dame was that a Stressful process, a humbling process. How, how would you sort of dis- describe that experience? You know, hiring,
2: hiring good coaches wasn't the problem, but the, the problem was I had been in college, i uh, been in the, out of college for the last 15 years. So I didn't know college coaches. I knew pro coaches. So I brought a couple of them with me. I brought Bill Lewis and Bernie Parmley because, you know, the, the Dolphins were having a shakeup. So they were basically on the street. So I bought, but now I'm, I'm hiring guys off the phone that I'd never even met. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm getting recommendations on people. I'm interviewing by phone. I mean, there were some people, you know, so when you're p- putting a staff together, I felt that, you know, I, I felt that one of my hindrances, one of the, one of the, one of the problems, one, one of the problems that I had was I never really, got, I never really got that. I, I, I never really got that right. You know, dur- during that t- during that time frame, because when you come in and you don't know seven out of nine of your assistants, that's not a, that's that's not a good
0: formula for success. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm curious, Charlie, when you heard about Brian, and I know we texted back and forth, talked a little bit that day. Ooh, how surprised were you that he left for another? I mean, you and Brian don't know each other super well, but, you know, how how surprised were you that a Notre Dame coach would leave for another college job?
2: Very, very surprised. Uh, if he left and went to the NFL, I'd answer that differently, mm-hmm. you know, because it would be, hey, I've never done it before. I always inspired, inspired you know, it's something new. Give it a run. Um I don't understand that decision. I mean, let's face it. I mean, I got let go from Notre Dame because it, they felt it wasn't good enough. I get that. Okay. But I'd still be there today. I would have not, you know, I'd be there today. I'd still be coaching today if they, if they didn't run me out of Dodge. <laughs> so, so for me, I don't understand it. You know, no, I don't know this thought process. I mean, I know that they threw a lot of money at him, but, you know, Notre Dame, you know, pays you well too. I mean, so I don't know his thought process, so I can't tell you what he's thinking. But if you're asking me, was that a surprise to me? Yes, it was a surprise to me.
1: Charlie, do do you think it's the way the SEC has been built and and sort of developed over the last couple of decades – do you think it's easier to be a, a head football coach in the SEC than maybe a place like Notre Dame?
2: Oh, I would say absolutely not. Is it easier to be? At, I mean, look at who you're playing every week. <laughs> I mean, you, the, those schedules are rough. It, trust me, I'm currently have uh, interest in the SEC. <laughs> And, um, uh, so I've been heard that point. rumor. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just saying, I, well, that's all I'm going. I currently have an interest, um, in schedules and you start looking at schedules and say, well, that's not so bad. That's not so bad. And then you get about halfway through the year and then you got murderers broke. <laughs> you know, I remember my first year, the one year I was down in Florida. I mean, we played in consecutive weeks, you know, and we played in consecutive weeks Alabama LSU Georgia and Auburn not this, not not in that order but they were four in a row wow i mean think about that i mean yeah. that i mean that, that that's in a row i mean the last time i checked there wasn't there, there wasn't a softball in there anywhere you know
0: what i'm saying <laughs> right Charlie, how much did you get to see of this year's Notre Dame team? And, and if you saw enough of it, uh, I'm curious your impressions of Jack Cohn and Tyler Buckner, the quarterbacks.
2: Uh, it's interesting because I felt at times they looked really good. And, it, and, you know, there were a couple periods where I looked and said, no, this kid doesn't have a chance. And then he goes and lights it up for three hundred yards. So I mean, it you know, there were there were there were periods that they looked like really really good, and then there were periods where you say, are they really going to be able to win big games with these guys? So um, not enough to be critical, is the answer to your question, mm-hmm. but enough to know that they're when they're good, they have a chance of being really good. It's just that I didn't see that. Really good all the time.
0: Uh, is, and and again, Buckner didn't play much, and they ran him more um, than had him throw. But just on the little that you saw of him, is that a guy that you are intrigued by, the freshman?
2: I think it's going to depend on what Tommy wants to do with the offense. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think he he has to decide if if that's the if he really likes this guy then you build the offense around this guy. Mm-hmm. Okay. If there's somebody else that he likes that have, has a different set of skills, then you build it around those guys.
0: Yeah.
2: I always, I always believed there's no, you know, for a long time, I believed you don't try to put a square peg in a round hole. And I think it all starts with the quarterback. Now, it also starts with the offensive line and all the other positions too, because you know, if you have an offensive line that can't block anybody, then playing an athletic quarterback is almost a must. Right. Because they could bail you out of problems. Yeah. But let's assume let, let's assume that, that not to be the case. Mm-hmm. He's got to pick, you know, what style of quarterback does he have that he wants, and then and then just formulate everything around him. You could you could win there with it. You could win with anybody, any style of quarterback, but you have to be willing to be the one that changes, not them. You have to be the one that tweaks the things, not the players. You got to put the players in a position to win.
1: Charlie, speaking of quarterbacks, Ian Book made his NFL debut on Monday night uh, for the New Orleans Saints. I'm not sure how much you got to catch that performance with a with a, a ragtag offensive line that really struggled. I'm curious. Uh, What do you think Ian Book's future in the NFL looks like?
2: Well, to be honest with you, you know, now that game, I did watch the whole game because that's what I do. You know, I do an NFL radio show for Sirius every morning. So I did watch that whole game. And you can't count that game. I mean, you could take that game and throw it out. I mean, I almost felt that it was bad that his family had to be there for that game, <laughs> you know, you know, because it was a fire drill for him the whole game. And the interceptions don't mean any. I mean, the sacks, they're they for that game. Like even Sean Payton said, "How could you grade this guy on this game?" You know, it just it, it just wasn't fair. I watched this kid when he first started. And thought he doesn't have much of a chance. And as his career went on, he just got better and better and better and better to the fact that I'm, I really think this kid can play in a league. Now, I don't know how high he could play. I don't know where it's going to go to. But I watched him. I mean, he in the beginning he couldn't read a coverage. At the end, he was reading coverage. In the beginning, I didn't know how many throws he could make. At the end, he could make every throw. In the beginning, I didn't know if he could run with the ball. At the end, he's running all over the field. So uh, I actually have a very good feel feeling that you know
0: he's gonna he's gonna be around the NFL for quite some time. Interesting, Charlie. Last one from me. Besides, tell us what time your radio show is. I think it's um, channel 88 on Sirius XM, but what yes. time that's on? And then what else are you up to other than driving Mara crazy?
2: Yeah. Well, I'm on usually Monday through Friday, Sirius XM NFL channel 88, except on Tuesdays, Brett is on one hour a week. Okay. So, so usually on Tuesday he likes to do it at 11 o'clock in the morning. So if he goes at 11 o'clock on Tuesday, we just bump up an hour earlier and go from 9 to 11. And the good thing about th- this, it really keeps, you know, keeps me from being completely bored, um, <laughs> you know, because now I have to watch the games and be able to be able to critically, uh, you know, talk about the, all, all the different teams in the NFL. I don't watch nearly as much college as I used to because I don't talk about it too much. Yeah. You know, I, I, do do work for the, I do study people for the, once it comes draft time, you know, but I don't watch nearly as much college as I used to. And cause I'm gearing all my time towards, you know, making sure that on Fridays when I make picks on who's going to win and lose, I don't make a complete idiot out of myself. Mm-hmm. As far as what we're doing, living down here in South Florida, you know, um, my we're new grandparents. Uh, our son had just had their first kid in May, so that's pretty exciting. As you know, being a grandpa, that's, right. that's that's exciting stuff. And the best thing is, as much as you love them, you give them back when you're done with them, which is uh, which is awesome, you know. But, uh, so that's kind of fun. And you know, just trying to make sure that you know I stay out of my wife's hair while she's riding her horses and you know, enjoy the warm weather down here and, you know, watch a bunch of NFL football.
1: All right, Charlie, that's all we have for you. We really appreciate you taking time once again to join us and uh, uh, have a happy new year.
2: Same to you and uh, enjoy. And for, you know, for all those, all those people up there, just say hello and send my best to
1: everybody. All right. Now it's time for place your bets. How much you want to make a bet? I can throw a football over the mountains. This is our segment dedicated to the Degenerates. Let's make some prop bets for the Fiesta Bowl. First one I have, Bryce Eric, is more sacks. Notre Dame or Oklahoma State?
0: Well, the um, pressure from each defensive front is going to be so big in this game for both teams. I think Oklahoma State will get more sacks because I think Spencer Sanders, sometimes under pressure, isn't just going to take a sack. He's going to throw it into coverage. I think that's kind of the difference between these two offenses is that Spencer can be really good and he can also put them in a bad position with turnovers. So I think that's how it'll play out that, that um, Oklahoma state will have more sacks. Notre Dame will force more mistakes.
1: Yeah. I think, I think that's a pretty good read on it. Oklahoma state is only allows a little more than one sack per game. And I think that's partially because Spencer Sanders will get rid of it and try to avoid sacks and, be, be, be more careless with the ball um, than he probably should at times. Um, so I, I'm going to go with Oklahoma state. I, 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 I'm i certainly concerned at, at some level about Joe Alt and Blake Fisher being your offensive tackles against such a good uh, um, defensive front, but um, I don't think those guys will play terrible. Um, it's just a matter of, working together and making sure Jack Cohn's on the same page with all those guys and, 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 being one unit. And I think that might be a little bit difficult when you lose someone like Josh Lugg, who is so, so experienced on that offensive line. Next bet is over under 65 rushing yards for Notre Dame running back, Logan Diggs.
0: That's a tough one considering Notre Dame had three rushing yards against Wisconsin. <laughs> um you know, their offensive line is better now, and they've had, you know, a month to prepare for Oklahoma State. I, I, you know, a lot of it's going to depend on how much, to me, Buckner plays. It seems like when Buckner plays, not only does he add to the running game, he opens up the traditional running game a little bit. I'm going to go under that 65 yards for Diggs. I think between the rotation and Oklahoma State's defense, it's not going to get to 65.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go under as well. His career high is 64, and he didn't need a lot of carries to get there, but um, this defense will require a significant amount of carries probably for him to get to 65 rushing yards. And I think, like you mentioned, he'll be splitting carries with Chris Tyree, Audric Estime, and probably Tyler Buckner as well. So Oklahoma State only allows 91 yards per game on, on the ground, and I think, uh, I think Notre Dame will be able to beat that as a team, but I don't think Logan Diggs will be able to get over 65 rushing yards. Next bet, will Oklahoma State quarterback Spencer Sanders throw an interception?
0: I will say yes, based on the fact that Notre Dame actually is just a slightly better pass efficiency defense than Oklahoma State. That shows you how good Notre Dame has been, even without Kyle Hamilton. They're also one of the top intercepting teams in the country. And then, you know, when you look at Spencer Sanders – pass efficiency ranking Oklahoma state is 79th and as town as Spencer is, that's the reason that it's, you know, gravity has brought it down to 79th is because of the interception. So yes, for me.
1: Yeah. I'm in agreement. Once again, I think even though the secondary depth is being tested, um, I think, uh, uh, he will still make mistakes like we were talking about earlier, mistakes when he's pressured. Um, he can be wild on his throws. Even when he's not pressured, sometimes he just tends to be off target um, and his accuracies can be an issue at times. Um, so I think there will be opportunities for Notre Dame's defensive backs to intercept those passes, um, even though Kyle Hamilton won't be out there and we'll see if Cam Hart is able to play after he looked pretty um, hampered with some sort of injury at uh, Wednesday's practice. Next one, over under six-and-a-half catches for Notre Dame tight end Michael Mayer.
0: This is a tough one because of how Oklahoma State is going to – what they're going to try to take away. And we don't have a lot of great comps on that. Um, Charlie Collar is a pretty good tight end for Iowa State, which was a game Oklahoma State lost. But Charlie didn't have a big game, but they p- paid so much attention to him that other people had bigger games. And I don't know. The the other side of me says that because of the pressure that Jack Cohn is going to be looking for Michael Mayer, and that's going to be a safe outlet, especially with Kyron not there to be that outlet. So I'm torn. I'm going to go yes, over. All right. We are staying on the same page.
1: Um, I, I think Oklahoma State will probably double-team him a lot. That's something that they they did against Charlie Kohler and Iowa State. Um, Charlie still ended up with six catches, um, so not like a massive game, but he had – I think it was like 61 yards. Um, but, I mean, to me, uh, if I'm Tommy Reese and Jack Cohn, I'm going down fighting with trying to get the ball to Michael Mayer. Um, I think it, I think he should open up some opportunities for the other guys to make plays. Whether really, that's Lorenzo Styles, Brayden Lindsey, or Kevin Austin, Jr., um, so I'm, I'm I, um, fascinated to see how that plays out. If, if Notre Dame can protect Jack Cohen enough to, to maybe push the ball down the field with so much attention on Michael Mayer. Um, so that, that to me, to, to me, I think this game comes down to Michael Mayer. Like if, if he's, if he has a good game, I think Notre Dame can win. If he, if they're able to shut him down and Notre Dame can't capitalize on the opportunities that are created from other players, um, then I don't think Notre Dame can win. Uh,
0: next bet, more passing yards, Notre Dame or Oklahoma state. Well, typically Notre Dame has more, they, they throw more. Um, and I think that'll be the case Saturday, uh, because I think Oklahoma state will balance their offense with Jalen Warren, um, who's going to be healthy from his ankle injury. He didn't play, uh, toward the end of the season or was limited in some of those games as well. But he's an over a thousand yard rusher, two-star guy coming out of high school. Went to junior college, then Utah State, then transferred into Oklahoma State this year. This has been a really nice portal pickup. So again, I think Jalen Warren's is Jalen Warren's prowess is going to keep Oklahoma State balanced and Notre Dame big on the passing yards.
1: All right. We finally found a disagreement. I will go with Oklahoma State on this one. Like I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm a bit worried about for Notre Dame secondary if Cam Hart can't play. Um, I think Oklahoma State, sort of like we've talked about with Spencer Sanders, I think there's going to be some booms and busts as yeah. a passing offense, um, but I still think that the the net of that will still maybe be um, end up with more passing yards than what Notre Dame will total on Saturday. And lastly, what's your final school prediction for Notre Dame and Oklahoma State?
0: Not super confident in this one, but I think Notre Dame is pretty jazzed to play in this game. Uh, I probably have too high of a score on this. I have Notre Dame winning twenty-three to twenty.
1: All right, I'm um, in a similar neighborhood. I always, I, I, I it's, it, I, it's hard for me to predict low-scoring games. I just feel like more times than not, it just ends up getting – There's just some bad, bad field position or something that leads to more points than you think would be scored in, in a defensive matchup like this. But I, I am predicting Notre Dame 27, Oklahoma state 23. All right. Now it's time for questions. Our first question, Eric is from at Tony underscore Griffo. Will Tommy Reese incorporate all three quarterbacks in the fiesta bowl. And then the second question is, will Audric estimate get five to 10 carries in the fiesta bowl?
0: I think the, so I would say, no, he's not going to incorporate that. I think the only way he would play three quarterbacks is if somebody got hurt. Right. Uh, so my a, a no to that estimate five to 10 carries. I could see him getting a series all to himself. The question is, does he get five to 10 carries in that series? You know, this isn't, you know, Georgia tech or Stanford's defense. This is, one of the best run defenses in the country. So getting five carries in a possession isn't a given against that defense. So I'm going to say, no, I, I don't think he's going to get to five.
1: Yeah. I, I don't think I, I well, the first one, I'm pretty confident I, 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 that Drew Pine probably won't play. Um, but like we said earlier, we, we believe Tyler Buckner will be involved to augment the running game. I, in terms of Audrick, estimate, I think like five or six carries would probably be the ceiling, in my opinion. So I'd be a bit surprised if he got up to somewhere closer to ten. So, but I, I do think he could get to like five or six. Um, maybe they give him some goal line work um, if they get if they get in the red zone. Um, so I, I think uh, um, there may be some opportunities to use in there. I, I, at times this season, they use Chris Tyree in short yardage situations way more than you would have thought. Um, and maybe they're finally comfortable in giving the ball to a guy like Audrick in in situations like that. Um, And I think they're probably more confident now to give the ball to Logan Diggs in those situations too. Next question is from at Alan Sturgill, and he also has two questions. Any truth to the rumors of Michael Mayer transferring to LSU after the Fiesta Bowl? And his second question, do you know the size differentials of the offensive and defensive lines between Notre Dame and Okie State?
0: Well, for the first one, I would say no. And for the second thing, yeah, I, I know what the size of both. We we get depth charts, so um, um, and we won't keep it a secret. You know, Oklahoma State's, uh, the magic in their front is the way those guys move pre-snap, their quickness, and their depth. They play a lot of players. Their starters are Brock Martin. He goes 6'3", 250. Then you have Brendan Evers, 6'2", 295. Israel Antoine, 6'3", 300. Tyler Lacey, 6'4", 295. Their best guy among the reserves is a freshman named Colin Oliver, who's one of the top sack guys in the country. He's 6'2", 225. So, you know, I mean, those are big boys. That's a big defensive end at 295. Uh, And so... You know, pretty decent size, but also very good quickness.
1: Yeah, I am first on the Michael Mayer to LSU. I don't know why Michael Mayer would do that. I don't know how that would benefit him in any way. I think uh, he's got a pretty good situation for himself right now at at Notre Dame. Um, As for the offensive defense lines, I did crunch the numbers um, in terms of like average weight. I don't know if that's something that Alan Sturgill is interested in. Um, the Oklahoma State offensive line, their starters average 305 pounds 305.6 um, and then for the defensive lines I took I went with the 2d because both Notre Dame and Oklahoma State will rotate their guys um, So Notre Dame's all defensive line is uh, averages 271 pounds so there's a bit of a difference there but I I, I should add like I, I don't think like weight is that significant of a of a factor um, in the modern, college football game, um, unless unless you're um, really pounding the football in the running game. Um, I don't know that that is.
0: Nobody's it, been pounding it at Oklahoma State.
1: Right. So uh, I don't think that's going to be a big factor. And then uh, the uh, Oklahoma State defensive line averages 280, which is a pretty high number. That's almost 10 pounds more than what Notre Dame's is in terms of the they're too deep. Um, and then uh, Notre Dame's offensive line averages 310. So Notre Dame's offensive line is a bit bigger than Oklahoma State's offensive line as well. So those are the numbers if that's uh, the, the math you needed. If you, if you needed me to be your calculator, I'm here for you. Uh, next question is from Baba Ganoush at PLACT underscore ITFDB. On paper, Notre Dame has the higher-rated recruits on the roster, but that doesn't always translate to the field. What do you attribute to Oklahoma State's stout def- defense, player development, or taking advantage of the COVID year, a la Kurt Heinisch, giving them more experience?
0: Um, so Marcus Freeman mentioned this the other day that their defensive guys have been together a long time. They all kind of grew up together. And so when you have that, you can get a little bit more exotic with your coverages and your fronts and your pressures and your players can handle it. You know, he mentioned that with Notre Dame, they hadn't played together a lot in his scheme so, they actually had to dial things back in November um, and make things simpler. So, so, they can be a little bit more complicated. Um, their depth, you know, they're older players. Some of them won't play in the NFL or won't be high draft picks in the NFL. And that's why they came back for either a COVID year or uh, a senior year. So, um, it, it's a blend. And they do a great job of player development. They do not have a single player on defense higher than a three-star. So kudos to them for their player development. And um, Coach Knowles, who's going to Ohio State, so they'll get get to see him next September, uh, does a great job too.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a combination of all those things. He is a very good defensive coordinator. Otherwise, he wouldn't be heading to Ohio State. Um the experience in the system matters. As you mentioned, the, the player development is, is very important. Um, the super senior COVID thing isn't enormous, but it's certainly helpful. They have three, three starters on defense um, who are super seniors. Um, Malcolm Rodriguez, a linebacker, linebacker, Devin Harper, um, and cornerback Christian Holmes. Um, Malcolm Rodriguez is probably the best, best player of that bunch um, as a linebacker. He's, I believe he's the leading tackler on the defense. Um, so uh, I, I think the all those things matter. I also think the big 12 isn't what it has been in the past in terms of offenses. Uh, <laughs>
0: That's not Tw- what one question asker thought <laughs> earlier this year. The, the big 12.
1: Uh, yeah. The big 12 has four teams in the top 30 in the FBS and scoring defense. Whereas it only has two teams in the top 30 in scoring offense, which is, Certainly not a stat you would necessarily think about when you typically think about the Big 12 in recent years. So I think that has something to do with how good Oklahoma State's stats look. Um, I don't think they've been, they faced um, as dynamic of offenses as they as they would have had had gone against in previous years in the Big 12. Um, but that's not to say that this defense isn't very good. Um, it's just maybe that some of this some of the statistics may be a little bit exaggerated because the the quality of offense in the conference isn't as high as it normally is. Next question is from David Carmichael at David Carr 1967. What kind of impact will losing their center hurt Oklahoma State and any other injuries they might have?
0: Well, Joe Mikulski has filled in. This will be his fourth game. And, you know, from what I've read, he's gotten better every game. Uh, Certainly, if Notre Dame gets exotic with its pressures, given the fact they've had a month to kind of put things in if they wanted to uh that might give them some trouble but you know again if this was his first or second game I I'd see it a little bit differently uh I think as far as health you know the the big difference is going to be that Jalen Warren is 100 healthy from that ankle injury so I think that would make up for any deficiency with the with the center
1: yeah I I uh those are, those are the ones to hit on. I, I I think certainly Notre Dame probably feels good about the matchup between Kurt Heinish and, and Joe Mikulski as a inexperienced guy, although he started the last few games. He's still a redshirt sophomore that hadn't played much until the these last few games. Um, so I think he, Notre Dame probably isn't too upset about uh, having Kurt Heinish going against him. Um, but, yeah, Jalen Warren is being 100% after missing the Big 12 championship game. Um, I think he played like maybe a play, but he didn't get a carry or something like that. Um, that is important. Now, maybe there's some injuries that occurred this week or something that was observed. Uh, we're recording now on uh, Thursday around the time that Oklahoma State has an open practice um, or at least an open portion of practice for Oklahoma State reporters. So we'll see if there's any new reports that come out of that. But other than that, those are the those are the two things to watch um, for for on the Oklahoma state side of things. Uh, Next question is from at Kevin Calabria one. Does Notre Dame have any guys who opted out of the bowl game, but have accepted invitations to an all-star game?
0: Well, the only two people that have opted out are Kyron Williams and Kyle Hamilton, who are both juniors. So they are not eligible for the senior bowl and the um, East West Shrine game and stuff like that. So answer would be negative.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I haven't tracked that before in terms of, like, other players at other schools doing that. That would certainly be a bit strange, although I guess maybe you, you know you're going to be in front of scouts um, at the senior bowl, and maybe you can protect yourself better in those situations. But um, that would be that would be kind of, kind of weird to sit out the bowl game and then play in an all-star game. Next question is from at Drew Brennan 77. Braden Lindsey, Joe Wilkins Jr., Kevin Austin Jr., Avery Davis, Deion Colsey. Lorenzo Styles and Jaden Thomas. Of these, which wide receivers are playing for Notre Dame in 2022?
0: Well, and I would throw Tobias Merriweather in there, too, the incoming freshman. Right. So I would say the three freshmen for sure. And then I think Davis is definitely going to come back. I think it only makes sense with the rehab he's got ahead of him. And I somehow think Lindsey's going to come back. Um I really enjoyed my interview with him. I think it was last week. Yeah. And and I could see both ways, but he's a pretty smart kid, and he has ambition to maybe pick up a master's degree in the process. He's realistic about his skills, so I, and he's put up with South Bend this long. Uh, I think that he would do that. The two that I'm not sure about are Wilkins and Austin. I think Austin would benefit greatly from it, I think he could make himself a a, at least second-day draft pick by coming back. I think he'll be a third-day draft pick, and he won't have as much uh, leeway in a training camp being a third-day draft pick. He's super talented. He's talented enough to play at the next level. I just think get another full season under your belt and show that you're an elite guy. Uh, But I just... You know, he's been kind of itching to to finish up college and and get on the move. So I'm not I don't feel great about that one, nor Joe Wilkins, um, partly because of his injury, partly because when he looks, if if depending on who else is coming back, there might not be a, a great place for him to step in. He may just want to say, Hey, you know what? I want to play a lot and and maybe some of these. Between the young guys coming back and some of the other guys, I don't know how much I'm going to play. So that would be my guess. And it is more of a guess, an educated guess at this point.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it's sort of like a crapshoot with those seniors. I, I'm not really sure that I have a great sense on any of them, other than probably Avery Davis returning. It does, I don't know that would make much sense for him to, to leave um, while he's rehabbing a knee injury. Yeah. Um, the Joe Wilkins thing, I think he sort of maybe it's, it's dependent on what the other guys do. Braden Lindsay, yeah, I mean he, he, I could just as easily see him staying as going. He's an interesting person. I, I enjoy having conversations with him too, um, and uh, I, uh, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he decided to transfer somewhere else. I don't think he would go to the NFL. Um, I don't. I don't think he. I, I think he has a good sense of that. That's probably not something that would make a lot of sense for him. Um, this offseason, so it would be maybe a potential transfer um, if he doesn't want to stick around in South Bend, which he wasn't uh, shy about saying isn't the greatest place in the world. <laughs> um, uh, and then Kevin Austin, I, I think he should return. I don't know that, if he, that he's going to. Um, I just can't imagine, like, drafting him with a significant pick. I think drafting him is taking sort of a flyer on a guy that has maybe a high ceiling, but I don't know that you know exactly what you're getting from him. Um, as an NFL player at this point, based on um, a pretty uh, unspectacular career, despite the the potential that he has as as a player. And then I then as for the freshmen, yeah, I think all the freshmen will be back. I'm not. I know people are concerned that maybe some of those guys wanted to transfer out. Uh, maybe the potential change at wide receiver coach is a bad thing or a good thing for Notre Dame. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll see how that all plays out. Um, but uh, I, I would think that those freshmen will be back because I think they know that they have a, a very good opportunity. I mean, when, you, when when the only people that are in front of you are guys that are seniors, um, you, you, you don't have a long line to, in terms of waiting to play, and, and at least for Dion and Lorenzo. They both got opportunities already this season. Next question is from Chris Scheiber at Scheibe 43. There is evidence in the 2023 defensive class that Marcus Freeman has built the relationships to bring more elite players to Notre Dame. Do you think there is time for him to make up ground on five-star quarterbacks or to solidify new relationships with guys like wide receiver Carnell Tate?
0: Um, well, I think when you're talking about the wide receivers and they're, they're involved with a lot of really good wide receivers in that class, I think that's why they're less concerned about some of the um, attrition that, that happen at the end of this current cycle and, and let's take carnell tate for instance he has a relationship with tommy reese and marcus freeman can certainly enhance that uh but but i think the most important relationship right now is tommy reese with carnell who will probably pick either ohio state or notre dame when he ends up making his choice he's a kid from chicago wide receiver from chicago who plays down at img and his stock has been going up. He's probably going to end up as a five-star receiver, but Notre Dame's involved with some other ones. Same with the quarterbacks. The most important um, relationship there is Tommy Reese. And Notre Dame is involved really with five really good ones, and that's uh, Nico Ayamaleva from California, Jackson Arnold from Texas, Kristen, Christopher Vazina from uh, Alabama, and, um, and then uh, Dante Moore from King High School up in Detroit. And Avery Johnson from Kansas. Everybody but Avery is a top 100 recruit by one or both of the services. Um, and uh, and then Avery Johnson is number 154 player by 247 Sports. So there's they have good relationships with all those guys. And I think they'll and certainly end up with somebody in that group.
1: Yeah. uh, Our next question is about quarterbacks. I won't dive too in depth on those, but there's definitely time for, for Marcus Freeman to develop relationships with whether it's the quarterbacks or different offensive skill players. Um, But like, like you said, sort of led with, I think it's going to come down to Tommy Reese and the offensive assistants to actually win those recruitments. Marcus Freeman can give give them another reason to come to Notre Dame. um, But I think the vision of Notre Dame's offense will likely have a bigger influence. I think, Um, Marcus Freeman is probably going to open a lot of doors for those offensive skill players. Like maybe, maybe some guys will give Notre Dame more serious consideration because they're intrigued by Marcus Freeman and, and, and uh, develop good relationships with him. Um, But I think it's going to come down to more than just that to be able to, 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 to close the deal on some of those uh, recruitments. Next question is from Joshua Nathan strong at Bupa one, two, one, nine. What, what, 2023 quarterback does N.D. end up with?
0: You know, I think if if I had to pick the one that I wanted, (laughs) I would take probably Dante Moore Um, and Nico would be my second choice. But, again, you're talking about shades of really goodness or greatness, um, not – Big increments of, of, you know, I think the guy that I'm probably sleeping on is Jackson Arnold from Texas, and I actually think that's who they're going to end up with. He is an ascending talent right now, um, and I think that's that's the guy that ends up saying yes to Notre Dame.
1: Yeah, I, I honestly don't have a great sense for this yet, and I'm not sure many people do. Notre Dame's top targets aren't necessarily considered. Leans one way or another. Um, so those guys that you ran through, those five guys. I don't know that anyone would say this guy's definitely going here. It would be a surprise if he ended up anywhere but here. Um, so it feels a bit like a dart throw, and my dart is landing on Jackson Arnold as well. Um, but I, I could easily see it ended up being Christopher Vizina or maybe even Dante Moore. I'm not quite ready to predict more. I think Notre Dame has done a good job with in that recruitment, and maybe if Notre Dame can like Carnell Tate and Dante Moore seem to have a pretty good relationship as recruits. Now they may end up going different places, but if they can sort of continue to push the right buttons in those recruitments, maybe they, they can get both of those guys together. Um, But I think there's a long way to go. I don't, I don't know that any of these recruitments are going to be wrapping up here in January. Um, But we'll, we'll see how that, that plays out because uh, the 2023 class, I think it's interesting. There's not a lot, there aren't a ton of guys yet that are have early commitments Um, And I think uh, once you get into the new year, then you're like, well, should we wait to the summer or wait uh, till was April? I think they can start taking official visits or something like that. Um, So I I think uh, it's going to be sort of uh, interesting to track what the timelines end up being for some of the big recruits in the 2023 class. Next question is from I think you're great at ND underscore Tanner. What has a better chance of returning first? The retired, he retired in quotation marks, number one jerseys or the green jerseys?
0: Well, I mean, the whole number one thing was Brian Kelly wanting to reward a player with that number. Uh, and then when Notre Dame lost the all-time lead in winning percentage, he decided, and it was never a popular thing with the fans and some of the alumni that they did did it that way with the number one jersey like Quentin Nelson couldn't wear it when it was his week because offensive linemen can't wear number one so it was more ceremonial but so then he ditched it the thing is Notre Dame repassed Michigan in the all-time winning percentage but then they had to vacate wins and so it will be tough for them to recatch Michigan unless they really just take a deep dive for several years. So it's a long way of me saying Marcus doesn't owe any of that to BK to keep that. Wheel. Yeah. I don't think he cares. <laughs> yeah. I think somebody there, if there's a recruit that wants number one, he'll get number one. And I don't know that Marcus doesn't seem like a green Jersey guy, but he'll, he may surprise me.
1: Yeah. The recruits like the green jerseys too. I think uh, it's, popular in in some of the photo shoots that they do on campus the 2018 i think it's the 2018 jerseys that they're they're wearing in some of the photos that you see of guys when they're on campus um so indy may be due for a green jersey soon maybe maybe maybe, uh the shamrock series game out in las vegas is a green jersey of some sort i don't know we'll see um but yeah i would guess the number one jersey i i mean someone should be wearing number one next season if, if you ask me i don't know who that would be but um i don't think that's seems like a quote unquote tradition worth keeping um, for Marcus Freeman. And I, I I don't know why he would, uh, I don't, I don't know that he would, he would buy into that sort of a concept that was sort of strangely established by Brian Kelly. Uh, Next question is from Douglas McAnally at D underscore McAnally. What was your most favorite present underneath your Christmas tree this year? And was it a new Year's six Notre
0: Dame bowl win? You know, I wish I was better at playing along with the theme, um, rather than kind of taking this literally. Uh, so the year six bowl win, I mean, I get to write about it. And so that would be, that's the gift that keeps on giving, you know, um, (laughs) but I'd say the best gift around the Christmas tree for me, again, I'm going to go literal was being around family. I was by myself last christmas because of covid and it sucked and i don't care how much you zoom it's not the same so being around family was the best thing for me
1: yeah i was felt feeling a little sappy too that was definitely like being around family who are all healthy um i think was probably the best thing i i I got some good things for christmas i got good gifts like uh some clothes and some a bluetooth speaker and some other things but None of those things are nearly as important as being able to spend some time with my family. even though it's small window, my my youngest brother and his, his wife um, headed up to see her family um, on Christmas. so we were able to spend some time together on Christmas Eve, but it was it was good to just hang out and uh, I mean Christmas Day we were sitting around and we as a family we were watching the All Madden documentary. so um, we're definitely a, a football obsessed family, so uh, it seems sort of fitting that's, that that's something we would be doing on Christmas Day. And then our last question is from Marie bf underscore at BF4A underscore Marie. Looking back on all your guests, who was the favorite for each of you and why?
0: Well, we had uh, today was episode number 120, although we had a half of a podcast once where we had an extra guest, you know, that threading the needle with the guests is difficult because you don't want to end up with nobody and you don't want to end up with two or three people. So there was one week where it was unavoidable and we had a, a second podcast where we just had that guest on. And we didn't do the other segment. So today was 120. We had seven without a guest and four of those were during kind of the height of no sports in the pandemic. Um, Aaron Taylor this fall is the most listened to podcast. So he should get a prize for that when the offensive line was going through their crisis. Um, I can name some other ones. Mike Varell was our first guest. We were afraid if we had too many technical difficulties, our guests would hang up on us, so we knew Mike wouldn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> early oh, I got, remember that. That was fun. Garth <laughs> Brooks wasn't live with us. That was a taped interview that we did. And we had Aaron Taylor on that week, too. That was that was a pretty cool one. David Lacey, back when we didn't know what was going on with COVID. He was amazing and sharing his story where he almost died in the hospital. And he called Mike Elston to ask him to take care of his son. I mean, it was just an incredible interview. Um, Jack Swarbrick saying he liked the Ramones better than Taylor (laughs) Swift was a great moment. Um, And then uh, Bobby Bowden, it was not on the podcast. It was before we started recording. I said... Um, now Tyler's going to take you through this. You know, I kind of told him the instructions and he goes, yeah, boy. And I wish we had that on tape. Uh, <laughs> and, he, and he was great too. I mean, he had some great stories. Mike McGlinchy, not too long ago was really good, but the star guest of all the podcasts is Beth Elston's cookies. We <laughs> ate them on the air and we reviewed them. These are the same cookies <laughs> the players get when they get sacks. <laughs> Beth Elston's cookies are the most valuable. And thank you for Charlie Weiss too, who's our guest today, who has been on, but Beth Elston's cookies beats everybody, including Charlie.
1: Yeah, you you had quite the Rolodex there. Um and Eric deserves the credit. He he books the guests 90% of the time, probably. Um I usually leave that responsibility to him. And then I I take care of all the, the technological editing and all that stuff and 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 sort of sketching out the what we want to talk about. Um, and I know that's, that's the more stressful of the two jobs <laughs> because you're, you're always relying on someone else, but um, he's put together what, in my opinion was, is the best guest list in the Notre Dame podcast market since we started this podcast back in 2018. Um, Bobby Bowden, which I think was that season. That was pretty cool. And that really was sort of opened My eyes like, man, Eric can get whoever the heck he wants. Can't he <laughs> like, how are we got Bobby Bowden on a Notre Dame podcast. Um, He's a coaching legend and someone I certainly hadn't interviewed before. Barry Alvarez, I thought was really cool too, um, hearing stories from him. Um, I have a real affinity for football broadcasters, which probably isn't shocking considering I talked about watching the All Madden documentary. But so Gary Danielson is someone who's I just like have yeah. a voice I've listened to and heard on television for so many years. That was a pretty enjoyable one for me. Um, Ian Williams, I think, deserves a shout out as, as, as he became the, the first sound that you hear at the beginning of our podcast uh, for, for singing, singing the song. Uh, so we've had a lot of great guests. It's been a lot of fun. And I sort of left out part of Marie's question um, because that's uh, this is the last episode of Pot of Gold. That was part of the inspiration for Marie's question. Um, it's the last time that we will be hosting this podcast together. Um Eric and I are leaving the South Bend Tribune for a new venture. Um it's not exactly a state secret but um we're we're going to be still together and covering Notre Dame football elsewhere. We have we have too much respect for the South Bend Tribune and the Insider to sort of use the platform that they've given us to sort of broadcast where we're going. Um so but if you if you follow us on Twitter at ndi and at ndi we'll share uh, midnight on New Year's Eve where when our new contract begins where we'll be and where you can find us um, we'll be starting a podcast there it will not be called Pot of Gold you'll have to subscribe to a new podcast feed to 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 keep up with us but we'll do our best to to share all that information if you want to follow us and uh, hopefully uh, the next folks that get hired to to cover Notre Dame football for this Open Tribune can either continue the pot of gold or come up with their own cool podcast. I, I have high hopes for the South Bend Tribune. That's uh, i mean, it's, it's the only job that I've had um, since I graduated college. So it's kind of a, a weird feeling to be leaving uh, the South Bend Tribune, but we're excited for what's coming next. Uh, we'll be able to tell you guys some more soon. I don't know if Eric wants to chime in with anything here at the end. I know he, he sort of broke quote unquote, broke the news in, in his chat uh, yesterday. He, he let people know that we were, we were heading out the door.
0: Yeah, I, I appreciate it. I, and I've heard from a lot of you via email and I have to forward those all to my new email because Gannett will kill my email tomorrow (laughs) night. I haven't had a chance to answer those yet, but I promise you I'll get, get to you. It'll just be coming from a different email. (laughs) So, um, I, I appreciate everybody that's listened to us. That's followed us that promise that they're going to continue to read our stuff. I, it's just we're really, really blessed with a, a great uh, fan base that's treated us really kindly. So and, and put up with all my um, not understanding the questions on the, the podcast <laughs> where I go, I don't know. I don't get that. Get off yeah. my lawn. Yeah, we've come a long way since uh, I just remember being
1: so nervous when we were first recording the podcast. I had no idea what I was doing and how to go through it. And uh that, that was part of the reason, like you mentioned, we had Mike Varel on because we knew that if we messed up and needed to do something over, he'd be patient enough to, to stick with it through us. And he always wanted to start a podcast. So it was like, we, we sort of felt bad that we didn't start one while he was still with us. So we let him come back on the podcast for our first podcast to join
0: Well, us. the other thing that was difficult was not cracking up when, Tyler had to do the Zaxby's reads and say were salads and sauces. Uh, yeah. There
1: were times where we would have to stop. Cause I would, <laughs> Eric would be trying not to laugh and I would seem trying not to laugh. And then I'd start to laugh and I couldn't finish the ad reads. That is certainly not something I'm good at. I, I think I probably got better at, but we haven't had uh, many ad reads in, in quite some time, mostly during COVID. So, um, but, uh, hopefully we can get some ads on our, on our, on our new podcast. Um, so if anyone wants to advertise, you never know, uh, he could always reach out to us, but anyways, thanks so much for all the support and, uh, enjoy the fiesta bowl and happy new year.